0: The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.
1: If it's the weekend, it's time to have fun with your pet. But when it comes to technology apps and what's hot you don't want to waste money or waste your or your pet's time welcome to pet lover geek with laurian clemens in today's show laurian and her guests will keep you in the know to keep your pet happy as well as you and your family now here's your host laurian clemens
2: Happy Saturday, pet lovers. I'm so glad you've chosen to join us today because what an important show we have for you. March is National Pet Poison Prevention Month, and we're spending the next hour talking with three incredible veterinarians who specialize in helping pet parents prevent their fur kids from exposure to these harmful substances, as well as providing some really critical resources in case they are exposed. Because... Hundreds of thousands of pets every year are exposed to toxic substances, and it results in needless pain, suffering, and in some cases, even the death of the pet. So not only can exposure to these toxins put your cat or your dog into a life-threatening situation, it can also end up costing you a fortune. For example, a dog's ingestion of antifreeze might ring up an emergency vet bill of six grand or more. And a cat getting exposed to lilies is at least a $1,000 vet bill, but could cost thousands and thousands more and worse of all is that sometimes even that emergency veterinary care isn't enough to save the life of the pet when it's been exposed to something that's poisonous and toxic to its system. That's why prevention is key and that is why our very first guest is Dr. Jason Nicholas from the PreventiveVet.com. Dr. Jason, welcome to the show.
3: Hey, Lorian. Thanks so much for having me.
2: First, I've got to thank you for the blog that you started, what, six or seven years ago, something like that?
3: Yeah, to Boy, it's been that long. Yeah, 2011.
2: Yeah, yeah, and I, I have. It's, it's one of the blogs I follow all the time. It has helped me so much. I've learned so much about not only preventing exposure to toxins, but also just about preventing other needless accidents for my vets, uh, for my pets. And um, a few years ago, there was actually one of your posts that chilled me to the core. We had just gotten a new puppy, and it, it sort of speaks to today's topics about you know hidden dangers in our house. I'm talking about that gorilla group glue post because it changed the way oh, yeah. I looked at pet-proofing my house. Can you talk to us a little bit about that?
3: Yeah. Um, we in the, in the veterinary world see you know, a fair number of cases of dogs ingesting uh, Gorilla Glue and similar glues. And it's a really interesting thing because when, when Gorilla Glue um, and these other glues cure, when they get in contact with, um, with liquid, so like in the dog's stomach, they expand and they harden.
2: Mm-hmm. And these things
3: just can fill up an entire stomach, even a small amount, and cause an obstruction that needs to go to surgery. Oh my God, and so what life. we had done a couple of years back is we had done a time-lapse video to show people, not in the stomach of a dog, obviously, but in a, in a clear balloon. Just mm-hmm. a little bit of Gorilla Glue, some water, and time. And this thing just expands basically to fill, you know, half or three-quarters of the balloon. And we've gotten great response because it does open people's eyes to the things that are just common in our, in our pets' environments, in our homes. And we just don't think would be a problem. And we also don't think pets would eat them. But dogs, as we know, they'll eat
2: anything, especially a puppy will go and check out and chew anything. And that's really it was the first time I really started looking at those dangers that there might be in my house that I have no idea are toxic for my pets. So let's talk about some of those big hidden dangers. What's what's hidden in like your kitchen, for example, that you may not realize is really toxic for your pet?
3: Uh, well, so in the kitchen, I mean, we always talk, I always like to talk about grapes, raisins, and currants for dogs, which can cause kidney failure in some dogs. Mm-hmm. There will be plenty of your listeners out there who have had dogs that have eaten grapes and raisins their whole life and never had a problem. We don't know what it is about grapes, raisins, and currants that causes the problem, and every dog doesn't seem to be affected, um, but best to err on the side of caution and keep those things away from them and certainly not mm-hmm. give them to them intentionally. Mm-hmm. And also keep in mind that those are in oatmeal, raisin cookies, muffins, uh, you know, things of that nature. Um, onions, chives, garlic, those can cause anemia or breakdown of red blood cells in cats and dogs. Um, Obviously, I think, you know, fortunately, most people know about chocolate. One that fortunately more people are starting to learn about is one called xylitol. It's uh, X-Y-L-I-T-O-L, just in case people don't know how to spell it. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a sugar substitute. And very importantly, it is an all natural sugar substitute. Some sites out there call it an artificial sweetener. And it's not, And that's important because someone who is leading a healthy lifestyle, if they see artificial sweetener, they're just going to automatically assume they don't have it in their house. And they very well might, especially if they're doing, uh, you know, low carb or if they're diabetic or things of that Mm -hmm, nature. mm -hmm. And and xylitol is in a ton of products. I mean, most people think about it in sugar-free gum or minced. We had written an article about a year and a half ago about xylitol creeping up in peanut butter um, because that's really concerning so many people use peanut butter with their pets for giving medications or stuffing Kong's, things of that nature um fortunately there's only about five brands of peanut butter that we're aware of right now in their specialty brands like typically protein fortified mm-hmm. um but they are out there and they may and xylitol might start creeping up in other peanut butters but then when we started looking we have a a list on our site that people can search that has over 700 products that have xylitol in it.
2: Yeah. It's things unbelievable. like there are some ice
3: creams. Yeah. I mean, there are ice creams, there are yogurts, there are different chocolate bars. There are, you know, jams, there are supplements, supplements that we sometimes give our pets, um, you know, can have xylitol medications, just an inordinate amount of things to have xylitol in it. And people need to be really careful because xylitol is extremely dangerous for pets, uh, for, for dogs in particular in really small doses.
2: Yeah, and, and I want to, that, that brings me to the next thing I want to talk about, medications. Now, um, there's one medication in particular that I hadn't thought of is, is all the different creams we have in our house. And a lot yeah. of times it's the kind of thing that is left over on something that can get licked up or something like that, not necessarily a pill, which I think we're all aware of, don't let yeah. that dog get the pill that just dropped on the floor, but it's the creams that are in our house.
3: Yeah, and we're, we actually recently, I think it was in January, the FDA released a, a warning uh, after um, several dogs actually died from exposure to a medication. It's a topical uh, anti-neoplastic or chemotherapy um, cream called 5-fluorouracil. Um, and they had gotten the hold of the tube and they, they suffered, you know, drooling, vomiting, seizures, and um, they died and or were euthanized. Mm. Um, so there's, there's those creams. There's creams, people use vitamin D creams for certain things. There's estrogen replacement creams. There's steroid creams. And so it's a matter of, you know, a lot of our dogs and our cats, like to lick us. Mm-hmm. And so if you're putting that, you know, if you've got like, say, a psoriasis cream on your elbow, and your dog or your cat is licking that, that might lead to a problem, or, uh, you know, the 5-fluorouracil. Five, um, it's it's the, those weird exposures, you know, that you just wouldn't think about. And then all of a sudden, your dog or cat starts exhibiting problems. It could be from the thing that you're applying to your skin, yeah. um, as well as them just getting to the tube.
2: Yeah, and that, that that's one of the things that was kind of like another one of those aha moments. Like, I know if my dog goes and eats a bottle of, you know, Tylenol, we're in big trouble here. Right. I don't, I don't right. necessarily think like, oh, I just put on the cream that I need to take, that I need to put on every day for whatever ailment I've had. And then he's up all licking all yeah. over me. And then he starts to act funny. It not that connection wasn't made for me until I started reading more about uh, it just recently.
3: Yeah. What, yeah, what, it's it. Just-
2: one of the other things I wanted Sorry, to bring up—sorry, just
3: awareness—which you're helping to raise, which right, is great. Right, exactly,
2: and that's that's why it's key to follow a blog post, a blog like yours, like Preventivet.com, because then all these things that you never really thought about, you're like, oh my goodness, I didn't know that. I want to bring up another one that I did not know, um, and you know, speaking of medicines, we have medicines that we use for dogs in particular um, to prevent things like fleas and stuff like that, and but that's not so mm-hmm. good for our cats. Can you talk a little bit about that?
3: Yeah. So a lot of the sort of, quote unquote, older school um, flea products, free me- flea medications for pets were based on um, pyrethrin and permethrin molecules. Um, and cats, unfortunately, have a much lower uh, threshold. They're much more sensitive to those chemicals mm-hmm. uh, when, used for, when, when used on or around them. And cats can suffer some really serious, um, very concerning muscle tremors that can cause permanent neurologic damage. And several cats have died and or been euthanized because of the the damage typically when somebody grabs a over-the-counter flea product say at the supermarket that's intended for dogs trying to save money and then splitting that tube amongst their cats mm. um, and so you really want to be careful to read labels because the labels do fortunately now have warnings that say on you know on the dog ones not for cats um, but we also have to be careful about using those products even around cats because if we don't put them on them everyone talks about cats and you know fighting like cats and dogs but tons of cats And dogs play well together, sleep together, you know, cats love to groom and they love to groom the dogs in their home. So if you're putting on a pyrethrin or permethrin based product on your dog and your cat licks it off, they could still potentially get enough of an oral exposure to cause problems. So we need to be really careful to use the products that are specific for the species, i.e. cat or dog that we're treating and make sure to read labels correctly.
2: But if you have a dog and you use this product and then you have a cat, I mean, like, is there an amount of time or is it just don't use it at all?
3: It depends, on, it depends on the product as far as the amount of time and the length of the dog's fur and how close contact they are. I usually caution people, just don't risk it because it really truly isn't worth the risk. Because if a cat gets a pyrethrin based product on their coat, you can at least bathe them, you know, you can wash it off to a degree but if they're ingesting it orally, there's no bathing that's going to get rid of it. So there are so many safer products available, typically from your veterinarian, that can help you keep flea problems out of your home entirely, or at least mm-hmm. help you get on top of it if you wind up with a flea infestation to treat it and then keep them out. And there's also for dogs, there are a lot more oral medications now. Things like Simparica and Nexgard and Comfortis and trifectus and whatnot. And so you don't have to worry about your cat rubbing up against them or licking, you know, and those don't have pyrethrins in them. Those have newer compounds, which are, which are safer and and I think more effective. Right. Um, So there's better options.
2: So those, those topical ones just avoid them. uh, Really, they're not worth it, frankly, if you have a cat in the house.
3: Well, Um, the the pyrethrin, permethrin based ones I would avoid. There are plenty of safe topicals for dogs that don't contain those compounds Mm -hmm. that yes, you can use around cats like frontline and advantage and things of that nature.
2: Got it. Now, I want to also stick, let's stick with cats, too. And it's kind of something like don't even bother to bring into the house. Well, I actually have a friend who recently had uh, a cat that just rubbed up against uh, a bouquet of flowers. And it ended up almost, yeah. you know, killing the cat, unfortunately, because there were lilies yeah. in this bouquet. Talk, talk to us about that.
3: Lily toxicity is absolutely devastating because it involves something that people, you know, that it's associated with fun and beauty and joy, you know, flowers and lilies are super popular and they're beautiful flowers and they smell great. Um, You know, they're really popular, especially around Easter, Mother's Day, things of that nature, but they are devastating for cats. And the toxic compound is in every part of the lily flower. It's in the petals, it's in the, the leaves, it's in the pollen, it's even in the water. Um, so, you know, when people talk about lilies and cats and I say, well, I keep them up high, but of course, a pollen carries on the wind currents in the house. And so that Mm -hmm. could potentially cause a problem. Um, when the petals, you know, when the flowers die, the petals shrivel up and fall to the ground so a cat can get there. And we all know cats like to climb and jump Mm -hmm. and it can take a very small amount. Like you said, your friend's cat, they rubbed up against it. There have been a lot of cases of cats that have literally brushed up against a lily flower, gotten some pollen on them and then groomed it off and gone into, into kidney failure. Mm-hmm. And it either had to go on dialysis, which can happen mm-hmm. in certain locales, like in, in uh, emergency hospitals and, and veterinary ho- um, uh, universities. Um, but oftentimes, these cats die because it's expensive to treat or because their kidney disease is so far advanced that they can't be treated.
2: It's dead. And it it's, it's the true lilies. Yeah. There's yeah no- and
3: it's the true lilies. It's the Easter lilies and stargazers, rubrums, tiger lilies.
2: Right. So, and we've yeah. got an
3: article about that on our site.
2: And even having those in your yard, if you have an outdoor cat, not worth it. Not worth it at all.
3: <laughs> right. Can um, very well be dangerous. And also, if you have an outdoor cat, your neighbor might have them in their yard, too. So right. never, you know, you can't always take it completely off the list. You've got to be aware of it. Because it's an uncontrolled environment. Yeah, yeah. And
2: speaking of spring and, and you know, stuff that you're going to maybe have in your garden, or your garage, uh, slug and snail bait. Yeah. That's one So of that's that a big wasn't. one,
3: especially for us up here in the Pacific Northwest, but in other parts of the country, too, um Most of the slug and snail baits available out there are based on a, a, a chemical called metaldehyde, uh, which is very effective at killing slugs and snails, but also unfortunately very effective at causing problems in cats and dogs and We mm-hmm. typically see it mostly in dogs. they eat a bunch because these baits are also formulated with like molasses or something to attract the snails and slugs mm-hmm. as we 've already covered. dogs will eat just about anything, and especially if you make it tasty and sweet so um, and then they have these really severe muscle tremors and, and they can wind up with secondary um, long-lasting permanent uh, kidney damage. Um, so really with the slug and snail baits, you've got to be extremely careful about how you store them in your house, your garage, your shed, your basement, wherever you're storing them, and also how you deploy them and use them in your garden and your yard. Mm-hmm. Now, there are safer alternatives. You know, some t- sometimes people talk about pet safe snail and slug bait. There is no such thing as pet safe snail and slug bait. Um, it's pet safer. And those are the iron phosphate ones. And so those are definitely safer, but those even can have problems if they're eaten in a large enough quantity. Right. So we need to be careful, use pet safer methods or use natural methods, you know, whether it be the eggshells or the, the copper rings, um, or you plant other plants that the snails and slugs are not going to be attracted to, but always be aware of and cognizant of that. Um, because it could be it could be pretty bad.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Listen, uh, we, unfortunately, we're like almost out of time. So I want to make sure I get in though. You have an incredible book, 101 Essential Tips for Pe- Puppies and New Dogs. And I believe you have a special offer for our listeners, right?
3: I do. Yeah, because to celebrate National Pet Poison Awareness Month. Um, so for your listeners, uh, what we're going to do, the book retails for nine ninety five. You can get it on our site at preventivevet.com. Just click the um, link at the top that says our bookstore. Um, retails for nine 95. We're going to do 20% off for your listeners. Just use the, uh, code PLG20 for Pet Lover Geek at, uh, 20, um, at checkout and they'll get 20% off. Oh, and that's it, fantastic. it really, we've been, we've been getting phenomenal feedback because it is really about raising awareness and, and there's a whole back, uh, you know, online backend for the book as well. So people can learn more on the tips that they're really interested in.
2: Fantastic. And thank you. Your website, preventivet.com, one of the key resources, I think, for all pet parents. Thanks so much for your time today, Dr. J.
3: Thank you, Lorian.
2: Sit, stay, and don't go away, folks, because up next, we're going to talk to the folks at the ASPCA Pet Poison Control Center. You really don't want to miss it. We're going to be right back on break from Pet Lover Geek at Voice America's Variety Channel.
1: This is Pet Lover Geek with Lorian Clemens. If you'd like to connect with the show today, please call us at one 472 5788 Again, that's 1-866-472-5788. Feeling shy? You can also send an email to PetLoverGeek at gmail.com. Now, back to the show.
2: Welcome back, pet lovers. It's Pet Poison Prevention Month, and today we're digging into things that you can do to prevent your pet's exposure to toxic substances. And equally important, what do you do if your pet is exposed and ingest something that can hurt them? We are so honored today to have Dr. Tina Wismer with us. She's from the ASPCA's Animal Poison Control Center. Dr. Wismer, welcome to the show.
5: Thank you for inviting
2: me. We're really happy to have you here. And, and, you know, we just talked in our previous segment about those hidden dangers that people have in their homes that can be dangerous for their pets. But I'm really curious, with your work with the ASPCA Poison Control Center, what are those most common cases that are getting called into the center? Like last year, what were those top toxins that were called in?
5: So last year, human medications uh, topped our list again of the most common things that people called about. And, you know, the typical scenario is I go to take my pill, I drop it, the dog eats it, what am I going to do? Right. Um, So that's most common. Um, Things that people may not think about being more dangerous are over-the-counter medications. Uh, So things like ibuprofen, acetaminophen. Um, naproxen is probably one of the worst things out there uh, mm. for dogs and cats to get uh, and, it. and
2: that's uh and, and just just for folks that don't necessarily know what naproxen's over-the-counter name is what would that be called if they were to get it
5: um aleve is the most common um right okay uh, trade name.
2: cool and and so and, and and so the pain pain pills like that what about like cold medicines and stuff like that maybe that smells sweet and things like that
5: Yeah, certainly. Uh, Like the liquid medications that you and I may give to our children or cough medications. Many of those do contain those same type of things, ibuprofen or acetaminophen. Mm -hmm. And acetaminophen is really bad because it can affect the liver and change the blood so it's not able to carry oxygen.
2: Right so and I actually remember you know when I was taking my dog to the vet and he would say oh you can give her a small baby aspirin and I would say oh not Tylenol or anything and that was one of those absolutely not so if in terms of what uh over the counter things c- can potentially be used for pets that are okay things like aspirin is okay
5: so it all is about the dose determines the poison. Mm. So certainly if your mm. veterinarian has said, yes, you can give your dog a baby aspirin, then yes, that's fine. But I would check with them first. Got it. Dogs and cats aren't the same as people and they take different doses. Like a dog will take huge amounts of Benadryl compared to people.
2: Hmm. Like, like needs a lot more than we do.
5: Correct, correct. Oh, I didn't know the that. The amount yeah, the amount that my dog would take would be enough to knock me out. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, actually, I get knocked out at a children's dose. I'm one of those people who's really <laughs> sensitive to it. But uh, I can't even imagine how much my dog would need to, and what it would do to me. So what else, other than like uh, uh, the, the medications, what was the other big thing that got called in a lot?
5: Right. Um, we still get a lot of food items. So, of course, chocolate is mm-hmm. always up there. And um, things like xylitol, that artificial sweetener, that for some reason in dogs causes um, their pancreas to secrete insulin and causes their blood sugar to drop.
2: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, let's, let's, let's talk about that because there's kind of a cu- couple things out there that you wouldn't know. Um, and there's also some things that people believe, oh, those aren't really toxic, but they really are. So can you talk a little bit about some of those misconceptions about things that people believe aren't poisonous but, or toxic, but really can be quite dangerous?
5: Yes. So, as we just mentioned, that artificial sweetener, xylitol, you know, it's great for people. It's okay for cats, too. But unfortunately, for dogs, it can cause those severe problems. We also think about things like onions and garlic. Um, You know, we may have heard that, oh, you can give, uh, you know, garlic to keep fleas away. Well, number one, that's not true. Um, Fleas don't seem to care whether you smell like garlic or not. (laughs) But dogs especially the Japanese breeds, it can, excuse me, onions and garlic can actually affect their red blood cells and cause them to rupture. Mm. um, So they can become anemic. So you and I may like that French onion soup, but it's not good for our pups to
2: eat. Right. And the same thing with like, like grapes and things like that. A lot of fruits that people can give to their pets, right?
5: Correct. Yeah. And for some reason, we don't know what the toxin is. Um, grapes and raisins can cause kidney failure in dogs. You know, we think of you or I, it's a nice healthy snack, unfortunately, not for our dogs.
2: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, and I remember when I was a kid, so there was a lot of, you know, misconception that goes out there, I think, and when pet parents are talking to each other, they hear something and then they believe it's true and then it gets passed around with everybody. And I had one of those when I was growing up that I had been told that apples were poisonous for dogs because of something that was in the seeds, which, you know, cyanide in the seeds or something like that. So I grew up believing that dogs couldn't eat those apples. But what are kinds of things that like you hear about that, that people say, Oh, those aren't, those aren't good for dogs. Those are toxic for dogs, but they're actually just fine. Mm
5: -hmm. Well, the apples is a great um, example. Also things in that same family, like cherries and pears and uh, peaches and apricots. The pits do contain cyanide. However, the amount is so, so small, and the dogs would actually have to chew those pits or seeds open to release the cyanide. So the amount that, you know, they would get by eating that apple, and if they're like, my dogs are just going to swallow it whole anyhow, right. <laughs> um, isn't going to be a problem.
2: Right. So those so things like that are good. And actually, my dogs, now that I know that it's okay for them, they love fruits. And in general, fruits are really good for dogs.
5: Yeah, you know, things like watermelon, cantaloupe, all of those are great healthy
2: snacks. Fantastic. What are some um, other things that maybe people uh, don't realize can be super-duper toxic that are around their house every day or in their lives every day that really actually can be quite toxic? Right.
5: So I have to mention alcohol, okay? Now Mm -hmm. we know that alcohol can be a big problem. Um, But dogs... And cats, especially those cream-based mixed drinks, they will, you know, get as much as they can of it. So certainly don't leave those any place where animals can get into it.
2: Yeah, and and if we're going to talk about alcohol, we should also talk about marijuana. I've been reading more and more about marijuana and dogs. Tell me about that.
5: Yes, so very uh, timely topic. So with the... um, Legalization of marijuana or of medical marijuana, we're having a lot more pets get into what we call the edibles. So these are like the foods that have um, THC, so the active compounds in marijuana in them. And, you know, if you go buy one of these chocolate bars, that one chocolate bar may be eight doses for a person, but for a dog, I mean, they're going to eat the entire thing. So they can get overdosed really, really easily.
2: And in and, and general, I mean, because, th- and this is where I think some of the confusion comes and some of those misconceptions are because you're seeing treats on the market. My parents actually feed their dog that has epilepsy. A, uh, they call, they call it her, um, her doggy do, uh, it, but it's, it's basically marijuana in the doggy treat and mm-hmm. it's helping her. Mm-hmm. So there's that misconception mm-hmm. of, well, it, if it's in the treats, then why is it dangerous for the dog? Is it it because it's the CBD versus the THC? What's the difference there?
5: Yes, and that is an important point to make. Uh, THC is the hallucinogenic, the psychotropic compound. CBDs are the ones um, that they've been using to help with things like epilepsy and pain and anxiety. So two totally different compounds, both found in the same plant material, but act totally different in the body.
2: Right. So what what perhaps uh, a human uses the marijuana for for recreational uses should absolutely Mm -hmm. not be anywhere near the pet, including what about inhalation of smoke? Is that going to potentially cause a toxicity problem?
5: It can. Yes, we certainly have had animals that have been exposed that way um, or eating, you know, the the roaches from the people who, you know, have left them. Mm -hmm. part of the joints around. So animals certainly can be exposed that way too.
2: Got it. Okay. Okay. So if it's in a package, it's meant to be a treat and it's going to be using the CBD. Otherwise, avoid it. Okay. So tell us a little bit about, because we've mentioned the Poison Control Center. So let's uh, Mm -hmm. talk a little bit about what the Poison Control Center is, what it does, what it doesn't do. Mm -hmm. So we
5: are a um, part of the ASPCA, and we are a 24-hour-a-day um, call center. So we employ approximately uh, 20 veterinarians and about 50 support staff. We get between 800 and 1,000 calls a day on potential pet poisonings. So if you were concerned that your animal ate something, you would give me a call, you, and I would ask you some questions. I would ask you about how much does your animal weigh, what species is it, does it have any health problems. What could it have gotten into? And, you know, is it having any clinical signs at this point in time? And depending upon the answers to those, we may be able to manage your pet at home, or we may need to send you into the veterinarian for further instructions and care.
2: So if you, if you know what your pet has ingested, um, what's the first thing you should do? Call the Poison Control Center? Or what, what's the first step that should happen?
5: Sure. I would call your regular veterinarian first. Certainly if they can help you, um, they know your animal, you may not have to answer all the questions that I'm going to ask you. Um, But if your veterinarian does not know, um, you know, especially if it's a human medication that they don't use a lot in their practice, they may refer you to call us.
2: Right. And then what if you aren't sure? What should you be doing?
5: Right. So, We get quite a few of those calls. You know, we have an animal that the veterinarian is seeing that's maybe having muscle tremors, and we're not sure what could be causing this. So we'll have veterinarians give us a call and say, hey, there's these, you know, 12 medications in the household. Potentially, we could have gotten a dropped pill. Could any of these cause this type of clinical sign. And, you know, we'll walk the veterinarians through that.
2: That's, that's good to know because so it's not necessarily just mm-hmm. the pet parent that's able to call you. You guys work one-on-one mm-hmm. with the veterinarians to kind of help diagnose these things, right?
5: Yes. So especially if, you know, we're going to tell you that you need to take your animal to the vet because we're concerned about, you know, um, this toxin causing problems, we're going to work with your veterinarian uh, to make sure that we have the best possible outcome.
2: Okay. And what what should you not do? If you think your pet's uh, ingested a toxin or you're not sure, what should you absolutely not do?
5: Don't wait. Um, I would much rather have you call me right away and I can tell you, oh, this is not going to be a problem. But with some things, if you wait until there's clinical signs, it may be too late. So Mm -hmm. be proactive
2: and are there when you're talking about clinical signs if if i had no idea that my dog has mm-hmm. has eaten something i mean i just come home but what mm-hmm. what kinds of things might be those those oh boy i better call what what are those signals that i should be looking for
5: yes yeah, so this is what makes it difficult because the clinical signs are going to vary with what your animal has ingested so you're going to know your pet best if you come home and fluffy normally meets you at the door and is excited and Fluffy's just kind of lethargic and laying there, mm-hmm. we know there's a problem, and we need to give our veterinarian a call. Um, or if there's been a lot of vomiting, or if they're having tremors or seizures, all of those require a trip to the veterinarian.
2: Got it. And what about, I mean, like, is there anything in the eyes? or the? Because sometimes my dog seems <laughs> fine, but her eyes will look weird. I mean, I, I know, I'm just curious.
5: No, that's a good question. There are a lot of medications that will actually um, affect the pupils. Yeah. So things that affect serotonin. So a lot of our antidepressants or anti-seizure medications will cause your pupils to become very, very big. Whereas drugs that contain opioids, um, will cause your pupils to become very, very small. So dogs that get into something like Vicodin, you know, mm-hmm. they're going to have tiny pupils, but the dog that eats your Prozac is going to have giant sized pupils. <laughs>
2: Right. Yeah. And 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 that's the reason I asked specifically is because I I saw some TV show and and it was all about oh my god his eyes are so big and then that was like the cue for whatever. So I appreciate that clarification. Now, if there's one thing that you could recommend right now to every pet parent, um in as far as pet poison prevention, what what would you recommend for every pet parent right now?
5: I would like them to remember that their new pet is not the same as their old pet. Mm. So, you know, your old dog or your older cat, they may have been perfect, but when you bring that new animal into the household, it's just like having a new toddler. They're going to get everywhere and get into everything.
2: That's great. Great advice. Tell me a little bit about the the app. You guys have a new app, don't you?
5: Yes, we have a new app, um, and it has approximately, actually a little more than 300 different substances on it. And Uh, The substances are kind of ranked from green to red. So green means only mild signs like potentially vomiting. And red, of course, means you need to give your veterinarian a call immediately. So it's a nice way for people to check things out, um, get a little information, and certainly take action if needed.
2: Oh, fantastic. Thanks so much for your time today, Dr. Wismer. Really appreciate it.
5: Thank you for inviting me.
2: Absolutely. And everybody that's listening, I recommend that right now you're going to take three actions while we're on the break. Number one, you're going to make sure that your veterinarian's phone number is on your fridge. If it's not there, it needs to be there. Also, I'm going to give you the phone number for the uh, ASPCA Poison Control Center right now. Put that on your fridge as well. That number is 888 two six four four three five that's eight 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 four two six four four three five and put that on your fridge and the last thing that you're gonna do while you're, we're, we're taking a break here for a moment is you're going to go download that APP, APCC app onto your phone so that you have it there at the ready if you need it and while you're doing that we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back with more Pet Lover Geek on Voice America's Variety Channel
4: News, news opinion your voice hear counts hear me, hear me. call toll free 1-866-472-5787 one 472 5787 voiceamerica.com are you finding your frequency it can be described as that space between failure and success Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America.
0: Search Voice America at your favorite app store.
4: The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com This is Pet Lover
1: Geek with Lorian Clemens. If you'd like to connect with the show today, please call us at 1-866-472-5788. Again, that's 1-866-472-5788. Five seven eight eight. Feeling shy? You can also send an email to petlovergeek at gmail.com. Now back to the show.
2: Welcome back, pet lovers. Today we're talking about pet. Poison Prevention Month. And we've already heard some really fantastic tips from the preventive vet about creating a safe, toxin-free home for your pets. And we just got done talking to Dr. Wismer from the ASPCA about the top toxins that are called into their poison control line. And next up, I'm really excited. We're going to have a chance to visit with Dr. Charlotte Flint. She's with another tremendous resource out there for pet parents, the Pet Poison Helpline and Safety Call Center. Dr. Flint, Welcome.
6: Thank you. I'm excited to be on the show. Thanks I, for having us.
2: I'm excited too. And this is such, such an important topic. And there's actually no way in an hour we can ca- cover every one of the dangers that are out there. But I want to focus for a little bit on seasonal toxins because it seems like every single season has its own set of potential poisonous things that are out there for our for kids to be harmed by. And for example, we're still in the deep throes of winter in some parts of the country, like up here in the Pacific Northwest, and uh, we just had a huge snow and our cars are still needing things like antifreeze and antifreeze is horribly dangerous. So tell us a little bit about that.
6: Sure. Well, there are a couple of kinds of antifreeze that um, that are are out there on the market, and and that we'll we'll deal with or or hear about. Um, the most dangerous kind is going to be. Um, you know, kind of the traditional antifreeze that has something called ethylene glycol in it. Um, those are the the types that are usually going to be in cars and they'll be in mixes with water, but it'll be the ethylene glycol types of antifreeze. There are some antifreezes that are out there that aren't going to be quite as poisonous, Um those are usually going to be kind of the pet-safe Um, Sometimes the marine and RV antifreezes will be, be similar in, in ingredients too. Those will usually have something else called propylene glycol in them and aren't going to be quite as dangerous, though you know, large amounts, again, certainly could be, be an issue. It's the ethylene glycol traditional antifreeze that we really worry about and very small ingestions can be a big issue for dogs and especially cats that get into it. Um, What we worry about when pets get into antifreeze or the traditional glycol types of antifreeze is that it does have the potential very rapidly to cause a lot of damage to the kidneys. Um, And so with those those small ingestions, it's liquid, it gets absorbed rapidly, cats and and dogs can go into kidney failure and um, can have very life-threatening signs if we don't catch them and and, um, treat them very promptly.
2: Right. So if you do see your dog or your cat licking at a place where there might have been antifreeze, you get them to the vet immediately.
6: I do usually recommend it. There, you know, it's always hard to really quantify how much they, they licked, especially because it's kind of a puddle situation. They just Mm -hmm. have their face there and we usually really can't say how much was ingested. We have really good tests for, for antifreeze. Um, and so if, if there's a suspicion that a pet may have gotten into it, I think getting into the vet, getting some testing done, and getting that treatment started early is very, very important, especially with cats. Mm-hmm. Um, cats are are exquisitely sensitive, and and the antidote for antifreeze needs to be started very, very quickly for them. Also, with dogs, they have a little bit more time, but cats, um, within hours, we need to to be right on top of it. So, oh. you know, any exposure, I do do usually recommend getting in and and making sure that it's it's going to be safe. That we can, um, you know, test and make sure they didn't get into enough of it or getting that treatment started right away.
2: And what did I've read something on the Poison Helpline's blog about vodka as an antidote? (laughs) What is that all about? Yes,
6: there are a couple of different ways that we'll treat antifreeze um, poisonings in dogs and cats. Traditionally, there's been a, a medication um called zomepazole so that we'll use. That one has been a little bit harder to find recently. It's kind of come off the market a little bit. Um and does tend to be very expensive as well. And so many pets end up getting treated with something like vodka or um something like Everclear, the very, very strong um alcohols. And basically the the reason that we use it is um the the way that the antifreeze, the ethylene glycol, gets metabolized by the body, um, it's actually not the the ethylene glycol itself that damages the kidneys. It's some of the um, other metabolites, some of the other things that it breaks down into, mm-hmm. and so we can actually use the, the alcohol, something like vodka or, um, or Everclear, not their very hard alcohol, as a treatment to kind of change the way the body processes the, the ethylene glycol or the antifreeze and makes it a safer situation for that pet. They get drunk. Um, and yeah, it, it and, and, and it's one thing. of those things that
2: we talked about, like <laughs> you shouldn't have the alcohol laying around for the pets because it's not good for them at all. Mm-hmm. But in this mm-hmm. case, it can actually save their life.
6: It can, it can. Again, definitely, it's something that we need to do in a very controlled situation with your
2: vet um, in <laughs> yeah. the
6: hospital. They need very specific amounts of it. We we certainly make sure that you know things are are safe and we're not having any issues with the blood sugar or any mm-hmm. other issues while they're getting it. Um, so again, very controlled environment. It's it's not something that I would recommend doing at home, but um, it is kind of a, a um, cool thing that is is on the shelf and and shows that you know one of. Those things that we usually try to avoid sometimes has a a potential benefit for pets,
2: too. Um, It's crazy how the body works. Now, let's also talk about ice melt because we just had, as I mentioned, a huge dump of snow. Unfortunately, there's still a thick sheet of ice underneath because we also had some melt. So, you know, ice melt is one of those things that we actually just talked about. Uh, Gosh, we're going to need some ice melt. And I said, oh, no, 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 we can't Mm -hmm. use that because it's bad for the dogs. So talk about that.
6: Sure. There are a few different kinds of ice melts that are out there on the market, too. Um, Probably the ones that I try to avoid are the really true, true salt or sodium chloride types of, of melts. Those if... Um, dogs, and just enough of it can cause some pretty serious electrolyte issues, and certainly they can have things like some vomiting, and it can be very irritating, too. Um, There are quite a few other kind of blends of different salts. Sometimes they'll have calcium, sometimes they'll have magnesium chloride in it um, that you'll see in other ice melts and, and usually are going to be, um, you know, less concerning overall, though, again, I, you know, would would try to overall keep it away from, um, you know, from pets. Usually those small ingestions where they've kind of walked through some snow or walked over some ice that's been treated, um, like the paws, that usually isn't going to be anything dangerous. They sometimes pets, dogs will have um, a little bit of, of mild vomiting or maybe a little diarrhea with that kind of situation, some drooling. Um, But I do try to, you know, after I take my own dog outside here in Minnesota, so we definitely know about ice melt as Mm -hmm. well, but I'll, I'll try to just wipe those paws down and prevent those, those ice melts from being ingested. But fortunately those, you know, kind of casual walking across the ice, walking across the treated sidewalk kind of exposures in most cases are not going to be dangerous. I worry more about um, dogs that chew into a big bag of it in the garage and eat a lot of it.
2: Yeah, and there's some of them out there that actually specifically call out that they're pet safe. I mean, are they really Mm -hmm. pet safe or are they just, they're better?
6: (laughs) I would Say better. There um, are. I would say most of the pet-safe ice melts have something called urea as the active ingredient in it. Mm-hmm. And if they get into quite a lot of it, they can have some of those stomach upset symptoms. Mm-hmm. Um, but usually, are are going to avoid some of the more severe effects like the electrolyte abnormalities with mm-hmm. that. So. Again, kind of a common sense situation where right. you know, I certainly wouldn't want my dog chewing into a bag of it, but I'm probably not going to lose too much sleep if, you know, he walks across the ice and then licks his paws afterwards.
2: Okay, cool. Well, okay. Now let's, let's because we're all dreaming of spring right now, let's, let's talk about moving into spring. There's a lot of toxins that when the weather changes and, and our behaviors change and things we use in our house changes uh, that are, you should be aware of. So talk about some of those top toxins for springtime.
6: Sure. So, um, springtime I, you know, here in in Minnesota, I, I definitely start thinking about the gardening that we get to do. We're really excited about that when the snow melts and, and we can get outside. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, um, a lot of times people have different, you know, plants that they are planting in their garden or in their yard, um, especially some of the bulb kind of of plants, the lilies are starting to come up, the crocuses are coming up, um, daffodils, tulips are are coming up, which are, um, you know, certainly um, beautiful. But if pets dig up those bulbs and eat a lot of, of the, the bulb material, that sometimes can be an issue for them. Um, most of the time it's going to be, especially with the smaller ingestions, kind of a stomach upset symptom or set of symptoms. But, um, we can sometimes see some more severe effects. With cats, I always, always worry about lilies and with, um, you know, especially Easter coming up, you know, making sure that, that lilies aren't coming into a home with cats, I think is very, very important. I always try to avoid, you know, bringing any type of a true lily, like the Easter lilies, the stargazer lilies, mm-hmm. um, the tiger lilies into to a home with cats. I I never keep them in in um, my home mm-hmm. because any type of exposure, any small exposure, even just smelling the plant, getting the pollen on the face, um, licking the water from the vase, and certainly chewing on those flowers or leaves um, can be dangerous and can cause kidney failure in cats. So usually, again, fortunately, something that we can um, treat if we can catch it early. Um, with springtime and all the gardening that's going on, we do, I think get a lot of calls also about things that are people are using in their their yard. Um, fertilizers or con- are you know very commonly being put out. Um, sometimes people are putting out different insecticides or, or other pesticides too. and so those would be some other things that we get calls about frequently.
2: Right. So just be highly aware of where your dog is at all times and his behavior in the yard and all of that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. What about too, um, I know for us, uh, spring cleaning, we try to do a big, you know, it's finally warm enough to be able to go out and shake out everything and all this stuff and, um, I've become more and more aware as we have a very curious pup. Um, He wants to sniff everything, lick everything. I've been more and more aware about the products that I'm using when I'm cleaning. What kinds of things should we, you know, avoid uh, or at least make sure that the dog has no exposure to when we're doing a spring cleaning?
6: Sure. I think with the cleaners, a lot of them can be pretty safe, especially if it's a situation where you're you know, just wiping down the counter, doing a little mop, and there's a little bit of um, you know, residue that the, the dog or a cat comes and, and likes. I'm usually not going to be too concerned about that. The ones that I really try to avoid would be um, some of the um, you know, very, very strong types of cleaners, things like oven cleaners, toilet bowl cleaners. Um, can be you know either extremely acidic or very, very alkaline, where they can cause some burns with very small licks or or ingestions. Um, another thing that has been in the news with kids and it also is a big issue with with dogs would be the laundry pods. Mm -hmm. Um, Those colorful little laundry pods have a very concentrated detergent. I do use them and I like them, um, but I keep them out of reach because they um, are something that dogs like to kind of chew and bite into and and those very, very strong detergents can cause a lot of stomach upset and we do see a a fair amount of dogs that develop some pneumonia. They get some of that material in their lungs too, which can be dangerous for them. Um, So... Really, it's the the ones that I think about keeping very much out of reach would be the really strong toilet, oven cleaners, and then especially the laundry pods too.
2: Now, you've mentioned this a lot uh, since we've been talking, stomach upset. That seems to be Mm -hmm. a very, very common theme of everything. So talk about when your pet has a stomach upset, maybe you don't even know what the upset is being caused by. What are the major no-nos that you should be aware of, things you should not do when your dog has an upset stomach?
6: Um, you know, I, I think it with an upset stomach, it there's so many various causes of, of vomiting and diarrhea in dogs and cats. I think it you know it is always good to just at least touch base with your veterinarian and um, and and certainly sooner rather than than later um, because of that risk of dehydration when we start talking about some of the home remedies and things that people try um and and that i would recommend avoiding um, we do sometimes see where a dog has some vomiting or diarrhea and and people start thinking oh wow maybe he's been poisoned they get online they start reading and they start trying to you know induce vomiting even though their dog has been vomiting um, so uh, that's something that I generally wouldn't wouldn't recommend. It's usually not going to be you know something that's going to be helpful once symptoms have started. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would definitely avoid giving anything like salt to induce vomiting, um, or um, you know some of the other kind of odd things that we'll hear about sometimes people sometimes use you know, very strange things like mustard or, or raw eggs or, or even motor oil. And I definitely would avoid those things. Sometimes people will reach for Pepto-Bismol. Mm-hmm. Um, it helps people with with a stomach upset kind of set of symptoms. And that's something I generally don't recommend in, in dogs and definitely not in cats. It actually has some aspirin-like compounds. Um, and... It rarely is going to be helpful. It rarely is going to fix the problem and has the potential, um, depending on the cause, to, to sometimes make things make worse. Make it worse,
2: Just, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Dr. Google is not a good place to go <laughs> for how to treat your pet, for sure. Your first stop should definitely be your veterinarian. And then also, uh, give us tell people how they can get a hold of your, your organization and, and how they can find it.
6: Sure. So we're Pet Poison Helpline, and we are a 24 hour, seven day a week, you know, nights, weekends, holidays, we're here, um, Poison Control Center for Animals. And our phone number is probably the best way to reach us. We're at 1 800 213 6680. And again, we are here and, and staffed with veterinary professionals and veterinarians 24 hours a day. Um, we do have a website as well where we have some general information for pet owners, You know, some great tips on um, some of the things we've talked about today and, and many other subjects having to do with, with poisonings and pets. Um, and our website is www.petpoisonhelpline.com. So that can be another great resource for pet owners as well.
2: Awesome. Thank you so much, Dr. Flynn. I really appreciate you taking the time today to spend with us.
6: Oh, you're very welcome. we're We're uh, happy to to chat and get some of this information out there to help pet.
2: Totally. Absolutely fantastic, important information that everybody needed to hear today. And I also want to thank Dr. Jason Nicholas for his great tips that we that he gave us from preventivevet.com. And Dr. Tina Wismer from ASPCA Poison Control Center. Wonderful having you, everyone on the show, sharing your expertise. And make sure folks to tune in next week, because next week, it's all about puppies. It's National Puppy Day, and we are going to be getting some amazing new tips from for puppy mamas and daddies. Loads of cuteness to share. Really exciting stuff. So until next week, give your pets some love from me, and we will see you right back here for Pet Lover Geek on Saturday mornings on Voice America's Variety Channel.
1: Thank you for tuning in this week for Pet Lover Geek.